Welcome to America This Week. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Walter Kern. Walter, this is a dual hotel room episode. Where are you this week, Walter? I'm in San Francisco, the coldest place on earth. Mark Twain was right. Uh, coldest summer he ever spent, or some winter he ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. It's foggy, gray, a little post-apocalyptic out the window. Um, haven't been to the city for 10 years during which it has gotten nothing but bad press for its street scenes. So um, usually I'm, I'm ready to get out there and walk, but I'm a little less uh, eager uh, given the press that San Francisco has gotten. But I'll, I'll get out there among the fentanyl addicted crowds soon. Um, Mingle. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of ones in my pocket. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> And uh, maybe I'll pick up some Marlboros and other yeah. things that help you get through war zones intact. Right. Right. Yeah. A little bump of something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm a little concerned about my lighting for this episode. It looks rather Vincent Price-like. Um, uh, I think but, we're both uh, in the same place with that. Yeah. Yeah. Now that now that we do clips, I'm much more concerned with the beauty aspect of America this week. <laughs> My wife says that I wear the same shirt every week, and it turns out that in my cycle, weekly cycle of shirts, she's exactly right. I do end up with the same shirt. Do, do you wear shirts on a schedule? Uh, yeah, I have three of them, so I try to <laughs> rotate. Excellent. So where are you? I'm in Memphis at Freedom Fest, where lots of... Um, once they would describe all these folks as libertarian, but there are a lot of sort of non-libertarian um, coded people here. Uh, Schellenberger's here. Right. You know, there's folks from the AC who used to be at the ACLU who are here. Um, there's lots of people from the ACLU replacement group Fire. RFK Jr. is here. I'm going to be interviewing him on stage tomorrow night. Uh, I got a speech tonight. There's just lots of there's lots of sort of interesting people here. Um, I have not talked to any of them because you know, I'm basically any social. So, uh, right. but it's interesting. And out my window, I don't know if you know this, Walter. In the middle of Memphis, you know those Bass Pro Shop stores that like oh, sometimes yeah. that get like a a special designation as a museum. So they build these huge things. They have whole mountains inside of Bass Pro Shops with, you know, mountain goats climbing them and all-terrain vehicles uh, on the edge of the precipices and so on. It's a whole world. You know, the Smithsonian of outdoor sports is, is the Bass Pro Shop. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's an entire Giza complex-style pyramid out my window. It's, it's a oh, white yeah. uh, Bass Pro Shop pyramid i haven't gotten in it yet i don't even know if you can go in it maybe there's a tomb of like the the founder of bass pro shops in there so uh we are closer than we usually are right because i'm in the middle of the country this time i'm on the mississippi but it's been an interesting week uh a lot mm. of things have happened one of the most interesting i guess is just these continually odd developments in the war in ukraine which feels like it should be a story of overriding importance that we're all talking about nonstop because the fate of the world kind of hinges on what happens there. And for most people, it's kind of an afterthought, but there were a couple of significant developments this week. 
uh, or in the last in the last week or so, there was a con- NATO conference uh, at which I guess uh, Volodymyr Zelensky didn't get exactly what he wanted, and you know got a little upset with the uh, with with his uh, fellow uh, or not quite fellow NATO members and calling the, their lack of a con- concrete timeline unprecedented and absurd. Um, and then there was a parallel development where, in an effort, I guess, to show their level of seriousness in supporting Ukraine, the Biden administration decided to start providing the country with cluster munitions. Walter, what did you think of this development? And did you watch any of the coverage of this? So, first of all, I'm going to preface all this by stating my deep discomfort with discussing war and peace and, and a war that is so destructive to human life and you know civilian life from a hotel room in San Francisco. Uh, I, I wish that the American public had been more thoroughly briefed, prepared for, uh, for this adventure of ours. I know it's not an adventure for the Ukrainians. I I understand on the ground that they're dealing with an invasion. But for America, which sits back in its various hotel rooms and homes and suburbs, um, pouring money and arms into a conflict which it barely understands is, for me, a uh, spooky and dubious proposition. I, 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 I have avoided thinking about it, frankly, because I, um, I feel a sense of moral confusion over the whole thing. But knowing that we're now providing a munition, which I was led to believe had been kind of ruled out in international conflict, uh, was not encouraging. It first of all suggested that the whole thing has reached a terrible stage in which only the most gruesome kind of combat uh, can be um, expected. Uh, we seem to be on a downward uh, spiral. Uh, I saw all the arguments for and against the cluster bombs, and it was weird to have to now examine from the ground up something that I thought had been concluded by the civilized world, which is right. that these things are terrible. Um, you know they're terrible because for for a couple of reasons they they don't they don't go off uh immediately all of them and they tend to be picked up later they're sort of like landmines by children especially and they're almost explode. worse i would say because landmines well i guess landmines maim too but these things will tend to leave you disfigured and suffering yeah they're just horrible but anyway yeah. Well, as I say, it, it seemed like we had reached one of our rare civilizational um, decisions uh, a, a, as a group that this was a bad uh, form of warfare and, and uh, to be avoided at all costs. But here we are back in this situation in which uh, I see some people arguing, well, the Russians are using them. We should be able to. Uh, as well. Um, I also see them arguing that we've run out of uh, conventional munitions or we're on the way to running out, which is a strange admission to make during wartime. You'd think that would be 
some kind of highly classified secret. Um, but do you believe that, by the way? Well, no, I don't believe it because I don't believe anything. Right. Uh, I, 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 I uh, start with a reverse or Occam's razor or something. Uh, it's not quite that, but it, it of total skepticism when it comes to war propaganda, particularly. Um, I figure that if they're admitting it so um, easily, that maybe it's not as bad as they think that they're making out because why would they make themselves look so bad? Why, why would they invite our enemies to start to plot uh, their moves around the notion that we don't have any artillery shells left? But uh, so, so yeah, I don't believe it. I mean, they could prove it to me, I suppose, but I don't want it proven. I will register my, uh, my sort of automatic skepticism on that one. When I first heard this news, I, I I wasn't sure what it meant at first. Um, then I started to see the excuse, all oh, that we when we're running out of conventional ammunition and we can't let that happen. Uh, which to me, I interpreted first as well. Maybe this is some weird way of trying to convince all of Congress to approve, um, you know, mass armament construction for uh you know another round of funding for for ukraine i i have no idea then when when i actually started looking up the coverage and trying to see how they were justifying this it was it was like a parody version of um iraq when they were talking about surgical strikes play the the interview with uh, on cnn where Victor Blackwell is interviewing a, um, a former Pentagon official about why this is okay. Are U.S. munitions, these cluster munitions, any safer, less likely to create the duds than the Russian cluster munitions do? They certainly are, Victor. And the key thing to remember is the so-called dud rate, which is basically the rate at which uh, these uh, munitions become unexploded ordnance. Uh, the dud rate for the U.S. weapons is much, much, much lower uh, than the Russian dud rate. The Russian dud rate is somewhere around 30 to 40 percent. The U.S. dud rate is less than 5 percent, and they're advertising a rate of about 2.3 or so percent. Uh, now, the dud rate will probably be higher on the U.S. side than advertised, but it will definitely not be as high as the Russian dud rate. Okay, and, and now, could you play the, the ABC clip? Just one day after the deadliest attack on the western city of Lviv, Ukraine, since the start of the war... The U.S. is making a new move to better supply Ukraine to take on the Russians. Two U.S. officials tell ABC News the Pentagon will provide cluster munitions despite human rights concerns. Cluster bombs have gained a reputation for killing and injuring civilians, especially children who come across the smaller explosives or bomblets that fail to initially detonate after being dropped. Many U.S. allies have signed a treaty banning their use. We would be carefully selecting rounds with lower dud rates. Okay, we, we, we can stop there. So that's basically their, their argument is lower dud rates. Our cluster bombs are more efficient in their rate of explosion than theirs. Right, right. The Russians, when, they, when they're dropping their 
outdated, um, you know, inefficient Russian bombs. They don't explode very much. So they're much more of a danger to, you know, the child who comes across it 20 years from now than um, the Ukrainian kid who comes across the American uh, cluster CBU or cluster bomb, whatever, whatever they're calling it, uh, because they only um, fail to explode at a 3% rate. So (laughs) this is the argument. Lower dud rates. Okay. The terrible thing about war, and and I really want to maintain a sense of seriousness and gravity in my comments, which I, I don't usually go out of my way to do, but I will in this case. The terrible thing about war is that it introduces you to linguistic formulations that stick in your mind and trivialize the nature of, of, of deadly conflict. That we're sitting here talking about dud raids, you know, reminds me of body counts. It reminds me of Truck all these. Kills. I- exactly. And um, I don't know that uh, I care, to be honest, uh, what the dud rate level of a cluster munition is if it's above zero. Uh, I um, also heard in one of these clips, strange oxymoronic formula, the safety of these weapons. Now, are weapons not by their nature unsafe? Are they not designed to be unsafe? Um, if we're if we're going to um, argue that uh, our cluster bombs are are safer than theirs, um, what we're really saying is that they're deadlier initially than theirs. The word "safe," in other words, has no place in this discussion for me. The logic of all of the defenses that I've heard has come down to this. They did it first, Mm -hmm. number one. Number two, ours are better than theirs, uh, according to this strange metric, dud rates. And three, we don't have any choice. Uh, uh, We ran out of the normal stuff. The assumption there is that if we still had the normal stuff, we'd be using that, but we just don't have that luxury anymore. None of these are very persuasive on a human level. They may be dis- they may be persuasive if you have completely ingested the logic of deteriorating conditions and increasing savagery, and uh, your feeling is that vengeance must be meted out. Uh, war is ugly, and it should go to its ultimate stage. But the truth is that. This war has has not gone to its ultimate stage. We don't have F-16s there. We don't have certain kinds of weapons. We're still ruling out the use of tactical nukes, I hope, which could be justified using the same logic that they're using for cluster bombs, frankly. I mean, I don't see that with this kind of reason you could rule out anything. Um, if, If your only goal is to match the other side to um, not have to to use your conventional stockpiles, which you don't have much left of anyway, you are getting closer and closer to the unthinkable as far as I'm concerned. And that this represents a, uh, I guess you'd say escalation or maybe a deterioration in our approach to the unthinkable is what upsets me most. Exactly right. And 
the the tone that they were bringing to their justification of this suggests to me that there is like a le- there's a level of commitment to this um endeavor that is just bottomless that they're 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 going to keep doing this um you know they trotted out Jake Sullivan to defend this decision first of all when whenever he appears to make a critical statement about a war. I always take that as a bad omen. Um, but he gave this amazing quote to Politico. When, and I don't want to dwell too much on the media side of this, but the role of the, the press in kind of hyping the, these absurd and, and just cruel and inhumane explanations for using these banned weapons. Um, I, I, I don't know. I find it kind of inexcusable. Like the, the tone of the of both the ABC and the CNN um, uh, reports reminded me again of Starship Troopers. That kind of rah rah, you know, we must beat the in, in invading bugs kind of um, delivery. But anyway, here, here here's here's Jake Sullivan talking, and he says we we recognize that cluster munitions created risk of civilian harm from un, unexploded ordnance. This is why we deferred the decision for as long as we could. But there is also a massive risk of civilian harm if Russian troops and tanks roll over Ukrainian positions and take more Ukrainian territory and subjugate more Ukrainian civilians because Ukraine does not have enough utility. So, yes, the risk of us uh, doing something that's inhumane and maybe 20 years from now, 30 years from now, you know, a few kids might be chasing a ball into the woods and lose a couple of arms. Um, you know, hey, war is hell, and we have to balance that against the risk of of Russians taking uh, more territory. I don't know, man. I, 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 why do we have to be making calculations like this? Like, the, the, I feel like we we don't vote on these things anymore. They just do it. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say, Matt, uh, the. The term Noam Chomsky invented back when for rallying people behind things like the use of cluster bombs was manufacturing consent. But it's an outdated term. It's, it's really uh, completely obsolete because our consent is no longer needed. Um, what they're manufacturing are, I don't know, rationales that we can use at dinner parties um, where we're challenged by others or maybe people from other countries. Um, but consent is no longer needed in matters of war, which is the shocking thing. Um, also, if these things are so great, why didn't we use them right away? I mean, uh, it, it, they're, they're basically confessing that they aren't good, that they deferred to this point. Yeah, we thought about it them. before, but now now we're at the point where we have to do it. Right. So, in other words, the real argument is desperation. Uh, you know, let's clear away all the baloney. They're saying that we have to use these weapons, which we um, abhorred earlier and which are pretty universally abhorred in a legal way around the world. You know, they, they, they make... Oh, they're so good. Oh, they were using them and so on. But those things were always true. Why are we doing it now? Obviously, we're desperate. Obviously, Ukraine is desperate. Um, They don't want to use that because part of the way that they have manufactured rationales for this war or, or sort of 
created balms for our conscience in America for this for this action that we really can't protest and can't stop is that um, it would be over quickly that that, uh, that that the heroic Ukrainians were in a position to uh, repel this invasion rather handily, but of course that wasn't true either, and so all of the all of the changing and developing uh, stories about this war suggest to me that little Walter Kern sitting in a hotel room in San Francisco, that it's time to negotiate with the orcs, the evil Russians, the people who we should not contemplate ever sitting down at the table with. The bug planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because ultimately the, 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 the rationale for a negotiated peace, should there be one, and I hope there is, uh, is going to be desperation too. That's what brings people to the table uh, when they no longer feel they can prevail militarily, or at least not with without unsustainable destruction. Um, and uh, in that sense, maybe we're closer. Maybe maybe using these horrible weapons suggests that we're on the road to not surrender. But it's always one more thing. This will work. This this will turn the tide. Uh, it was the counteroffensive just a little while ago that was going to turn the tide. Um, it was other weapon systems earlier in the war that were going to turn the tide. The javelin missile, um, the Patriot, the missile, handheld drones, the handheld drone, and once more, America, which is kind of a tech addicted country that thinks that the solution to every problem is just a better tool, a better instrument, is being led to believe that, oh, this one weird trick that we didn't try yet is going to be the one. Um, I very much doubt it will. The, the trend doesn't suggest uh, success here. Uh, and yet they won't admit to the kind of desperation that would prepare the American people for a negotiation. Uh, yet again, they're telling us we, rather than that, we will plumb the very depths of destructive warfare. Uh, we'll start to uh, we'll we'll start to break through red lines, moral red lines that we that we set earlier. They no longer apply. Um, it, it seems like free fall to me. A free fall into a Bar barbarous, destructive, deadly situation, which could at any time break out and turn into a world historical catastrophe. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of things about that. First of all, did you get any hint in coverage leading up to this that the situation was so dire that we had to start using banned weapons? Not only did I get no hint of it, I was told the opposite. I, I mean, uh, until recently, I was led to believe that this counteroffensive was was succeeding, would succeed, and then was succeeding. I was led to believe when there was the intrigue uh, with Wagner in Russia that all of Russia was about to topple. Uh, you know, that the, 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 the um, Putin, not only the Putin regime, but the sort of 
uh, imperial Russian experiment in general was about to fall apart. And so uh, it is an emotional boomerang to realize, oh, wait a second. Um, now our best hope is to uh, increase the savagery. Yeah, and I'm not going to, Walter, subject you again to this uh, this clip from um, the Vietnam War uh, documentary Hearts and Minds, but um, I recalled it immediately as soon as uh, as soon as I read the story because there's a scene in this very famous uh, documentary that I, I think had a big part in changing attitudes about American involvement in foreign conflicts for a while. But there's a scene where a pilot who dropped cluster munitions on pe on people uh, sort of breaks down on camera when he because he says, you know, during the war, I, I never thought about, you know, who was actually on the other end of the of the uh, munitions that I was dropping. But now I think about my own kids and I wonder what would happen if, you know, what I would even think about if that happened to my to my kids. And, and he kind of loses it. And then someone asks him, do you think we've learned a lesson? And he says, I think we're try trying very hard not to. And he goes on in that quote to talk about how Americans perpetually think that the answer to sort of deeply um, complicated conflicts is always some technical thing that there's, you know, in Vietnam, obviously the situation was different. And what he came around to saying was, you're not going to get people who are fighting for their freedom to, to give up just because you've developed a new device or something like that. Um, that doesn't work, but they continue to think that it would, right? This is obviously a very diff different situation. This is an invasion by another country, but there are lots of, you know, complicating factors going on there there are hatreds that go back hundreds of years um there's resentment that was built up during world war ii in the years after that when the west and the east were fighting and you know there's all kinds of things going on here the idea that you're going to turn the tide by dropping a new kind of device into the mix is is just it's such a peculiarly american delusion to think that that's that's going to be the deciding factor. Some, I mean, I guess sometimes in war, technology is the, a game changer. And we're, we're, we're about to see the Christopher Nolan film Oppenheimer come out. And this is going to be the ultimate demonstration of that American um, belief system that, you know, you get a bunch of scientists together and they're going to, they're going to change everything. Uh, but here, uh, is that really what's going to happen here? I don't think so. Uh, two things. As to Oppenheimer, I, I haven't seen the movie, obviously, and I haven't read the script, but I do know the story. I'm a little concerned that it's a Christopher Nolan production. He's known for these kind of mindfuck twists and turns uh, that, you know, explore modern scientific concepts uh, cinematically. And I'm not sure how that can be used in this case. But uh, Oppenheimer is a case in point of someone who was, you know, obviously enrolled to bring us the atomic bomb and succeeded in that. 
And then in the post-war atmosphere, repented, basically. Uh, he, he, he saw the logic of where this was going, especially as the, uh, hydrogen bomb was introduced and, uh, kind of backpedaled and, you know, he, he had leftist sympathies, uh, it seems, uh, and was hounded out of uh, polite military industrial complex society, um, so, so he he is a he is a uh, case study in both successfully developing a technology which did end a war, did stop a war, um, and also someone who realized maybe madness was mm. um, uh, So, so I don't so I don't know that that movie does anything but kind of demonstrate our point. Um, but but a- afterwards, after the nuclear uh, age started. America pursued a, a suite of weaponry that was short of short of nuclear, short of atomic, um, but also very deadly. And and through my youth, and watching the Vietnam War on TV, and also you know uh, being part of the homeland as as people came back, uh, one of the lessons was that napalm didn't work. Agent Orange didn't work. Agent Orange didn't work. Carpet bombing didn't work. Uh, And so as we ran through these uh, last best hopes, uh, it became clear that at least in that war, uh, tech wasn't going to save us. If you're hearing this message, you're listening to the free version of America This Week. To hear the full version, and for more articles and content, please subscribe to Racket News at taibi.substack.com or racket.news.